If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. As you can see, we are talking about fellowship this morning. As we continue to go through our, our series on, on our vision of the church and where we are going as a church and what we, are, what we believe God has called us to do, seeking to follow Him. This week we are focusing on the idea of fellowship. And I don't know about you, when you think of the idea of fellowship, most often in church it's related to social gathering aspects of the church, right? There's often, uh, many churches will call their, their place where they gather and they eat meals the fellowship hall, right? And, and we have fellowship meals, fellowship activities. Most of those things are where we gather together and enjoy one another's company. And those things are good. But I don't think that that in and of itself captures the full picture of biblically what it means to have fellowship within the church, what it means to have fellowship with one another, and just how important and vital fellowship is to the life of the church and to believers within the church. And so we're going to begin by reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 25 through 25. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us to gather together to, to look at what it means to follow you, to look at what it means to have fellowship with one another. And God, I pray that today would be a day that you would help strengthen our love for you and our understanding of who you are. And God, I pray that it would strengthen our love and our understanding of how we should care for one another, how we should interact with one another. And how that is a part of the mandate of what we are called to do and what we are called to be. God, I pray that you would help us to see you in a, in a new way and to follow you more closely this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a short passage that we're looking at this morning. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the, day, all the more as you see the day approaching. The first thing we see from, from this passage, the first thing that we see scripturally is that fellowship is bound by a common faith. Last week we talked about the idea of ministry, how we should care for each other, and how we should care for one another's needs, how we should meet each other's needs, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. How we should meet these needs. How in, in Acts chapter 2, we see this, how they, they met to, to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and how they sold their possessions to care for one another. Ha fellowship and ministry, which we talked about last week, go hand in hand together. And both of them have the same foundation, which is the foundation of everything we do, the common faith which we all have. As we saw in verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised 
is faithful. This is the common thing, the common bond that we all share. You see, the definition of fellowship, if you were to look it up on the internet, I think it fits very well with what church is, and church's idea of fellowship is, but it gets more specific. Friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. Fellowship in the church is founded and bound by our common hope in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We have fellowship with one another because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If there was anything and only one thing that that brought us together, it is that. You don't have to have anything in common with anyone else in this room. You can like completely different things, but if you have the same hope in Jesus Christ, that gives you fellowship with that person. In this life, there are many places where fellowship can be found. You have fellowship in your families because you grew up together. You often share common interests. In your workplaces, you have fellowship. You find your workplace friends. Sports teams, you often will have fellowship among sports fans, right? And, and, and schools, whichever school you support or whichever school you grew up in, you have fellowship. And there's this camaraderie, a place where there's community and, and a collective identity, there's fellowship. If you were to look at any given sporting event and you look at all of the fans, they're all wearing the same shirt for their team, cheering for their team, I can guarantee you will find a variety of different views on everything else in the world. But what do they do? They come together because of one thing that they share, their support for that team in that moment. In the church, we have fellowship with one another because of what Jesus has done for us. None of the places where you find fellowship in life should match the fellowship of the church. So when we look out and we see these avenues and these places where you gather together and you you lay everything aside to, to gather together and to go about this common goal, you put things aside, you put differences aside, there's a camaraderie, there's a, there's a fellowship. In the church, we should see that in, in a way that is not matched anywhere else, where we lay things aside because what we have hoped in, what we have found our hope in, is so much more important, so much more valuable than what we can find fellowship with in the world. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope, since he who promised is faithful. The thing that we see about this fellowship, this this common thing that we have hope in, is that this common faith and fellowship, the fellowship caused by it, should unify us. There should be unity because of our fellowship in Christ and because of what we share and what we have in common. John 17, 20 through 23 says this, and I've shared this before, and I, I, cannot, I don't believe it can be shared enough that we see that this is what Jesus prayed for in the garden. I pray not only for these, talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their, through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, and I, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have, been given, I have given them the glory you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be complete, made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I don't think we can overstate or over-exaggerate enough that what Jesus wanted for the, the believers, those who followed him, was unity among them and for them to love one another. 
For, for many of you, you've been in church for a long period of your life. You may have grown up there. You may have been here since you, you can't remember a time you didn't go to church. Maybe some of you are newer to church. You didn't get saved until you were at an older age. If you've been in church for any period of time, one thing you will experience, and you've probably experienced at some point, is strife and, and difficulty within the church among its members. And that's not unique to this place. It's not unique to any church in the world. Every church has people in it, and every church, because there's people in it, has problems. I've heard it said before that the best part of ministry is the people. You get to love the people, you get to experience the people, see their love for Christ, see the way they love one another, the way they grow. And I've also heard that the worst part of ministry is the people and the way that they do things and they hurt one another and they don't act like Christ at times. When we see what Jesus said the world will know we were his disciples by was the way that we are one. We should be able, because of our common hope in Christ, when there are things that threaten that unity, threaten that common bond, we must find ways to lay those things aside. We must find ways to be united, to be made one, and to be unified because Christ calls us to be unified. He calls us to have unity, to forgive one another, to love one another. When In 1 Corinthians, Paul goes after them for many reasons. One of the reasons is because they were suing each other in the church. They had so many disputes they couldn't even settle among themselves. Fellowship is not that we simply gather together for a meal or we gather together to do things together, but we genuinely have camaraderie, that we genuinely have a regard for one another, even if at times the only regard is that person is someone that Christ loved and died for. Because there will be times where when you see your fellow church members, they've done something that's hard for you to, to, to deal with. The only thing you can look at them and know and like at that point in time, maybe, is that person is a person Christ died for, that is following Christ, and so I must love them like Christ loved them. And so when we have our wants and we have our desires and the way we think, think things should be, we have to lay those aside for the sake of the body. Fellowship is the gathering of the body. And this fellowship that is created should be stronger than any other place that we find it. What can you think of in your life that is more important than your relationship with God? Most people that are Christians, if you ask them what is most important to you, they will say God, right? God, family, friends, and then maybe their work. That's usually the order that I hear them in, right? It's, it's God and then the most important people to them and then the things they do. But if we look at how we live, if we look at the way where we find our fellowship, is that reflected? Are the places that you engage in community more in the church and among the people of God or more among your other interests that you have, the other places you find community? Because if we want to genuinely follow God, we should create a place where fellowship can occur and welcome believers into that fellowship. That's, that's one of the issues that can happen is there can be good fellowship and there are churches at times where those things can become a click. And when there's people that have good fellowship that they experience, but other people cannot come in to that fellowship. The church should be a place where the, the members and the believers that are gathered together experience fellowship and any believers that come through the doors of the church that come to be a part of that gathering are able to be welcomed into that fellowship. 
The fellowship is found in what? Our common hope in Christ. Not the things that we get along with, with the people in the church, not the, the ways that we are compatible in these areas. That helps. You'll be closer to some people within the church than others. But that does not mean that we are allowed to, to have division. There must be unity within the church. Fellowship is the relationship of, of the believers in the body. And then we see in this passage, and, and you cannot have fellowship, you cannot have these things if we do not gather together. Fellowship is gathering together. In our passage today, we see not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Fellowship necessitates the gathering of the body. If we want to have fellowship the way that it is seen in the Bible, it demands that we gather together. So not only do we have this common hope that we all are Christians and we can have regard for one another and love one another because we are Christians, because we have this same bond in Christ dying for us, being our Savior, that we've committed our life to following Him. It's not just that we have that, it's that we come together because of that hope. We come together because of this regard that we have for Christ and this regard because of that that we have for one another. We gather together to worship and to be together. One of the most common things that, that I feel like I've heard growing up in this time, and as you've seen and we've talked about the way that, that the, the world is shifting and the way that things are shifting and people's perspective of God and their relationship with God is shifting, there are many people that, that claim to, to be a believer but don't go to church. Over half of the U.S. is unchurched. Meaning that, they, that today there are more than half of the people in the U.S. that will not be in a church building this morning. One of the most common things I've heard in this time that we've seen this trend, I believe in God, I just don't like the church. I'm a Christian, but there's too many hypocrites in church. Well, on the last one, before we move past that, I'll just say that is true, right? There are a lot of hypocrites in church. We're all hypocrites. We're all sinners seeking to follow a perfect Savior, and we all fail every day. The problem comes in when we don't own our imperfectness. If we place ourselves on a pedestal and say that we are something that we're not. In 2017, the people that, that were, I'm a Christian or I, I believe in God, but I don't like church, was one-tenth of the population. That's a lot of people that I believe in God, but I don't like the church. And, and many, many of you have probably heard that perspective. And one of the most common, I think, almost caricatures of that position is, well, I get my church on the boat fishing on Sunday morning, right? Or I get my, my church on the golf course. Or I get my church doing these things in nature, experiencing God other places, which is good. We should see God all around us and the, the magnificence of what he's done. We should be praying and thinking of him often. But that's not a substitute for the fellowship of the body. It's not a substitute for the fellowship of gathering together. But the, the Barna group that did this research had good news about this group. And this is what their editor-in-chief said about that. This group represents an important and growing avenue of ministry for churches. Particularly if you live in a more churched area of the country, it is more than likely you have a significant number of these disaffected Christians in your neighborhoods. They still love Jesus, they believe in Scripture, and most of the tenets of their Christian faith, but they have lost faith in the church. While many people in this group may be suffering from church wounds, 
We also know from past research that Christians who do not attend church say it's primarily not out of wounding, but because they can find God elsewhere or that church is not personally relevant to them. The critical message that churches need to offer this group is a reason for churches to exist at all. What is it that the church can offer their faith that they can't get on their own? Churches need to be able to say to these people and find and to answer for themselves that there's a unique way you can find God only in church. And that faith does not survive or thrive in solitude. In many ways, this is encouraging. These people, from what the research was showing, actually do hold on to many things about their faith. But they, like I said, have lost faith in the church. Now, there's two things about this. There's two places where I believe firmly that, that responsibility lies. It lies with them, that their faith has not developed and seen a way where they understand the value of church and the gathering of the body. But it also lies in churches for not being at times who God calls them to be. Because the answer to this question, the answer to why does church matter, is biblical fellowship. The idea that when we gather together, when we come together in this common bond, that fellowship, this camaraderie we get, the way that we're able to better one another, to to come together in this common hope, is something you cannot reproduce on your own. It is not found outside the church body. You can read the Bible for yourself, and you should. You You can pray on your own, and you should. You can worship on your own, and you should. You can find Bible teaching and supplements, all sorts of Bible interpretation resources, and those are great to use. But none of those things can replicate the fellowship that is found in the Christian body and how all of those things are benefited and enhanced by this fellowship. Because it's more, it should be, and this is what I mean where responsibility lies with the church. Church is more than showing up one, two, maybe three days a week even, doing something and leaving. Church is a coming together, living life together in this common bond of I have surrendered to Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to gather with people who who have surrendered to Christ as their Savior because this world is hard. When I go out into the world, I see things that are tempting. I see people that are hateful. I see all of these things coming against me. And I need my Christian brothers and sisters to give me love, to give me support, to help me, encourage me so that I can live my faith out in this world, to be a witness for Christ. This world was not meant to be lived alone. And our faith demands that we come together in fellowship, that we gather together. And even at this time, the writing of the book of Hebrews, there were people that were not gathering together. They they had the same temptations. And there's reasons. There are times when not gathering might make sense. There are reasons that you might miss the gatherings. If you get injured and you're not able to leave where you're at, obviously you may not be able to gather together. There are times where people have work that might conflict at times with gathering together. And in this past two years, we've seen how COVID and other things that threaten people's health might be times where we, for periods, don't gather together. But what we all must individually make sure is that we don't find reasons not to or make excuses for not gathering together. There is a difference. And the hard thing about this is only you in yourself can, can say where your heart is with it. But we have to make sure that we don't make excuses not to come and to gather together. We must value the fellowship 
that we have. We must value what it means and what we get from when we gather together as believers more than the reasons we can find not to gather together. Because I tell you, any Sunday morning, any given time where we are called to be with one another, you can probably find a number of reasons why it might be easier not to. But we have to make sure that our priorities are right. One of the difficult things that I've seen, especially working in youth ministry previously, seeing all of the things that compete with church, all of the things in this world that are threatening to take people away from the times where they gather together, and all of the times where believers, Christians, choose those things over gathering with the church. It's difficult. Missing church doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but, but we should value it. There are things in your life that you would never miss. You, would, you have to make a priority, right? When we look at some of these studies that we've talked about, regular church attendance means that you attend church almost approximately half of the time. Can you think of another thing that is a valuable, important thing in your life that if your attendance rate was 50%, that you would still be involved with that? If you only showed up to work half of the time? If you were part of a, a team or an organization, you only showed up and were there half of the time? That, that you wouldn't be a part of it anymore. And if we say that our faith matters more to us than anything else, as individuals, for ourselves, you have to be the one to make the decision. Is your faith, is the gathering of the body more important to you than the other things on your schedule. That doesn't mean you're here all of the time, 100% of the time, but do you make it a priority in your life to gather with other believers? Because we should. We should because fellowship is edifying one another. This is the part that, that you can't get on your own. This is the part where I think the, the, the fullness of what fellowship is begins to come, become clear in just how valuable it is. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, but encouraging each other, and then we, we skip on, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the men's conference that we're going to be attending this coming Saturday is called the Iron Sharpens Iron Conference. That comes from Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. When we come together, we are called to make one another better. We're not called to, to nice platitudes and to simple conversations. And we know how to talk in church, right? You learn, I've heard it referred to as Christianese, right? Well, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm, I'm blessed. Oh, I've had a kind of a rough... Well, I'll, I'll be praying for you. We learn how to speak. We learn how to say these nice things to, to get through our interactions and, and keep our relationships going. But what the church should be is a provoking of one another to good works, to do good, to love, to be who God calls us to be. When we have relationships with one another... We are able to now help each other to follow Christ more faithfully. And that is what fellowship should be, to come together to promote living and following Christ as we should. We challenge each other to love and good works. We encourage one another. We help push each other to be better. I don't know if you've ever been in anything 
physical in your life, but it's a lot easier to do those things, physical challenges, whether it's running or, or, or lifting or any sort of endeavor like that. It's a lot easier to push yourself when there's somebody right beside you. If you were running and you're running with a partner and you want to stop, but they're not stopping, do you feel like you're going to stop? You're probably going to keep going, at least a little longer than you would have on your own. I know that when I, when I would lift with one of my friends, every time he would hit a new weight, I would want to hit the next weight. And we keep going. You want to compete in, in a friendly, loving way to be who you are trying to be. You set out on a goal and you try to hold each other to this standard, to push each other to be better. When we see in Scripture how God calls us to share our faith, how God calls us to live out our faith, we should challenge each other. Hey, have you been doing this? Have you, what are ways that you've loved somebody this week? What are ways that you've shared your faith? How have you been an example of Christ's love to those around you? We challenge each other. We remind each other to what, what is to be expected. There's times where you will go through life, you'll have encounters, and you won't know maybe what the right thing to have done was. You won't know what God's word might indicate that you should do, but maybe someone that you, you have at church will. Maybe someone's been there. They can help you. They can navigate you through, show you how we can love others. We make sure that one another are equipped to handle the situations. We make sure that each other are, are taught. That's why we have things like Sunday school classes and, and, and Wednesday night Bible studies. And, and as we're going to be starting very soon, kids and youth events, that it's, not for, it's not just for fun. That part of fellowship is important, enjoying one another, but it's also for the training and in the equipping of the saints to be able to do the work that God has prepared us to do. And, and here's the thing that we have to understand is the longer you've been a Christian, the longer you've been following Christ, the more you have to invest in younger Christians that aren't following. And here's a hard thing we need to make sure we do, is that we don't rest on our laurels of how we followed God and leave a generation to come up not knowing what to do. And if we look at these gaps, if we look at the history of Israel in the Old Testament, and then arose a generation that didn't know the Lord. Why did they not know the Lord? Did the generations that saw firsthand the experience of God invest in the younger generation? They have to. Because if they don't, how can they expect others to follow? I've heard so many beautiful stories of people that have said, I remember vividly my Sunday school teacher or the teacher at VBS or my youth pastor or my pastor that showed me these things when I was younger. The question you need to face is, have you been that to someone else? Are you leaving a faith legacy through your fellowship in the body, through your engagement with others? Is there someone who can look at you and attribute the way they follow Christ to the way that you showed them how to follow Christ? That's what we're called to do. We are called to follow, not for our own benefit only, but for the benefit of the body. We challenge each other to put these things in action and when we challenge each other to do these things, we also help each other to put in place what is actually expected. We do the work together. We see in Scripture that when Jesus sent them out, how many he sent them out alone? No, he sent them out in groups, right? They go together to do the work together. Not only do we gather together to learn together, but we go and do the work that God calls us to do together. The other side of that, this is the, the provoking to good things. This is the positive side, but also there is accountability when fellowship 
is present. We hold each other accountable when we fall short. We're called to hold one another to a certain standard. We're called to hold one another accountable. And this is not judging. This is looking at what God's Word says and saying, hey, I see you doing this thing. God's Word very clearly says here, that's not what we should be doing. I think you ought to change direction. This is supposed to happen in the, the fellowship of the body. But that it only can happen if there is good fellowship within the body. I don't know, if you, if you were walking in public and somebody came up to you and just started telling you everything you were doing wrong in your life, what would your reaction be? Okay, and you walk away because you have no idea who this person is. Why are they telling me what I should do? Why are they telling me the way I should live? We should be so closely wound together that, that when uh, one of your fellow believers is sharing with you, they know it's because they have your best in mind, right? That's why we, we get defensive when people tell us things is because we think they're trying to tell us we're not a good person. We're not doing the right thing. But if we have fellowship with one another because of our common hope, we know if someone shares, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. You probably should change direction. It's not because they hate you. It's not because they don't like you or they're trying to make you look bad. It's because they want to help you follow Christ more faithfully. Speaking the truth in love is, is a part of what happens when we have communion, when we have fellowship and we hold each other accountable. But holding one another accountable really cannot happen if there is not strong fellowship within the church. It causes disputes. It causes arguments and frustration because that fellowship needs to be there. And through fellowship with one another, we give each other permission to speak these hard truths to one another. But as we begin to think of all of these things and, and to wrap all of these things together, we have to come back that the common bond of this is the fellowship that we have with God. The common bond that we have, the common reason we have fellowship with one another is because of the fellowship we have with God. And we have this fellowship with God because of what Jesus did for us. Colossians 1, 21-22 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions, but now He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before Him. So in reality, we all had fellowship before Christ. We were all united by our sinfulness and rebellion against God. But because of what Jesus has done, when we have hoped in Jesus, we have realized that we are sinful, we have seen the way that He has atoned for our sin, that He has made a way for us to be reconciled with God, we believe in Him, surrender our lives to Christ, turn, repent, and believe that we have this fellowship with one another because of the fellowship that we have with God. Because of what Jesus did, we are no longer enemies, but we can be called friends. Jesus paid the price for us, the price we could not pay, so that we could be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus did, His righteousness is imputed or credited to us. We have relationship in fellowship with God, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we couldn't earn it or do anything to save ourselves. This is the truth that we must respond to. The primary thing that we must respond to, if we want to have fellowship within the church or with the church body, we must first have fellowship with God. And it's as simple as, 
so simple a child can understand it. And this is the way that we, we teach it to children. The ABCs, that you admit you're a, you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and was raised on the third day and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. This is the decision that every person that is following God must make in their lives. This is the decision that we all must make if we want to have a relationship with Him, to be forgiven for our sins. This decision is what we are united in, is understanding who Jesus is and what He did. And it's from that we have fellowship. And you may have noticed this morning that, that we have the, the, the elements for the Lord's Supper here. And it's through the Lord's Supper that we remember what Jesus did. It's a reminder of the gospel. And I, I want to share with you in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, what it says. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. This whole passage, what this is meaning, this is leading up to where we commonly, and what we will use later as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we remember what Jesus did. It's speaking of the common bond we have in this, in this observance of the Lord's Supper. The word sharing, the cup that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? That word is koinonia. And it's translated in other translations as sharing, a participation. It's also translated as a communion. That's why it's often, it's sometimes called communion. It's a participation, a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And then as we see, because there's one body of believers and we all share the same Savior, we are one body. There's a participation, a remembrance, a fellowship that we have with one another when we take Lord's Supper. We remember what Jesus did. This whole time we've, we've said that our fellowship is motivated because of what Jesus done. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we must come together and remember collectively, individually, what Jesus has done for us. We individually examine ourselves. We consider the depths from which Christ saved us. And now, as we prepare ourselves, because that's what we're doing right now, we're doing things slightly differently than maybe we have before. We're going to take the Lord's Supper before we have our invitation. So in a few moments, we will have the Lord's Supper. And so beginning now, I want you to begin to examine yourselves. Because individually, we must examine ourselves. We consider the depths from which Christ saved us. These elements are not something that will give you any special grace. They are something we do in remembrance. But it, when you think about the bread which signifies his body broken for us and his blood shed for us by the Jews, we think about the price Christ paid for our sins, for your sins. Individually, we reflect on that. We think of just what Jesus did so that you could be called a child of God. We reflect on that. And then we must examine our lives and consider if we are living a life worthy of the calling we've been given? Is our life lining up with Scripture? Where do we need to improve or align ourselves with the will of God? But then we also remember the fellowship that we have together collectively through the body of Christ. 
When we collectively participate in the sharing of the Lord's Supper, we should remember the common bond we all have in Christ. And in light of this, we should remember that all differences and disagreements should be laid aside. Quarrels should be ended and wrongs forgiven. Because as we remember the call by our Savior to forgive others as we have been forgiven. One of the most beautiful things I've seen is in preparation for the Lord's Supper, people walking across a church to be reconciled to people they were in in disagreement with. Because they remembered that despite any disagreements they may have had, this is what bonds us together. This is the the common hope that we have. And, And whatever it may be that has led to a disagreement, whatever grudge we may be able to hold against another person, we lay those things aside at the foot of the cross and forgive one another because God has forgiven us. And through this example, through this love and forgiveness we have for one another, the world sees the love that Christ has for us, the love that's available to them through Christ and the fellowship that we should have. So in a few moments, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And I want to remind you, we, we have open communion That means that you don't have to be a member of our church, but what we do ask is that you seek to have the same views that we have about communion. So kind of the easiest way to understand that is is that you would qualify for membership, that you are a believer, first and foremost, that you have made a a profession of faith, you have been saved, that you followed in baptism by immersion, following your salvation. And if, if that's where you are, you would be able to join us in membership. And so we would ask that as you consider that and as you prepare to take this, that you examine yourself. You examine your relationship with the body and you remember what Christ has done for you. So as the the deacons come to prepare the elements, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us today. We thank you for everything that you have done. We thank you for the gift of salvation that is available through what Jesus has done for us. And God, I pray that as we, in a few moments, participate together in in the Lord's Supper, we remember the fellowship we have with you because of what Jesus has done with us and the fellowship that we have with one another because of our common bond in believing in what Jesus has done. God, I pray that because of what you've done, we would live a life that is worthy of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand together. And during this time, we have a time of invitation, an invitation to celebrate and to worship God for what he has done, what we've just participated in, to to remember what Jesus has done for us. But it's also a time to pray and to seek repentance, to turn, if you are a believer in Christ, to to turn and to follow more faithfully. If today you realize you haven't been following him the way that you should. It's also a time to take steps of obedience, to to follow and to to give your life to Christ, perhaps for the first time, to repent and believe in what, what Jesus has done for you, to follow in obedience in baptism or or to join the church. I'll be here for prayer 
if you would like to pray or the altar is open as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for what we've just participated in and the remembrance we have and what Jesus has done for us. And God, I pray that you would just help us to celebrate and remember that. And also, Lord, I pray that you would move and work within our hearts, that your spirit would would work within us, would not let us remain still, but would challenge us and and move us to follow you in obedience, whatever that may be. God, I pray that if there's anyone who doesn't know you, that they would be given the boldness of your spirit. They would not be able to remain still, but to seek you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.